The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been one of my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Once the high flyers fall apart, they become almost impossible to value. There's a schism between high valuation stocks and the rest of the market, which is exactly what we saw today. Dow gained 215 points, S&P was roughly flat, while the more richly valued Nasdaq tumbled 1.33%, and one point was down a heck of a lot more before short covers came in to close out the day. When you see these kind of tech meltdowns, it makes you kind of tear your hair out, major reason I don't have any left. You look at the declines in Snowflake or Salesforce or CrowdStrike or Okta or Zscaler, and you figure they must be screwing up big time. But that's not it at all. High-flying tech stocks are plunging for the same reason the big industrials and bank stocks are soaring. We've got a sector rotation on our hands. It has nothing to do with the companies themselves. It has everything to do with the nature of the street. This rotation has more to do with volleyball than the fundamentals of the companies that are pelotoning, I mean, plummeting. While I hate to say, I told you so, for the last couple of months, I've been warning you to transition out of these high-price-to-sales uh, stocks before 2022 because the new year would not be kind to them. I made that point very importantly multiple times on our club call. I didn't know it would be this vicious, though. Take a stock like Okta, which we know well. This identity verification software company has fantastic revenue growth but loses fortunes. A year ago, Wall Street looked at the revenue growth and was willing to pay a huge premium. Why not? Okta is the number one identity business. Their sales have quadrupled in four years. They've made a brilliant move to own the whole space, which is why they've, had, they've been able to spend a lot of money for greatness. As long as Okta kept beating the sales estimates, the analysts would keep raising the price targets and the stock would go higher still. Momentum. But that was the old market when the Fed was your friend. Now the Fed is your foe and Wall Street's got a new set of preferences. Suddenly, money managers want actual earnings per share, which Okta does not have. So no one who owns this thing knows how to value the stock of Okta. The stock can't possibly fall low enough to be cheap, at least uh, some sort of P.E. basis. The result, Okta's gone into free fall, and I have no idea when that fall will be broken, even as the stock's down 80 points from its high. And remember, the company is fantastic. I don't mean to pick on Okta. We all know anything abounds. There are literally dozens upon dozens of these nosebleed valuation stocks. Okta's just among the best of them. At the moment, though, that makes it the best house in an awful neighborhood. 
Now let's talk about the opposite, John Deere. They make the best equipment needed to dig things, haul things, and plant crops. When I wanted to move around some massive five-inch slabs of wood from a gigantic dead ash tree last week, we brought in a deer to do the job. When I wanted to create a path where the tree used to be, I used my deer backhoe. And when the infrastructure money gets doled out, a decent chunk of it is going to go to deer. Fortunately, deer only trades at 16 times earnings, not sales. Unlike Okta, which has seen its share count balloon from $106 million to $155 million in the last few years, deer has shrunk its share count from $324 to $308 million. It pays a small dividend. That can grow. Most importantly, deer is a prosaic, generic, well-run machine company that has the wind at its back thanks to both the infrastructure bill and a massive new farm cycle. Above all, deer, deer is easily understood. How about Okta? Many share owners own this one only because they think it was going higher. Momentum. They don't have the first clue what it actually does beyond making Octas. And now that Wall Street's no longer willing to value stocks on a price-to-sales basis, they don't know what to pay for it either. Or more accurately, they don't know how low it can be sold, when the selling will stop. There's no buyback, no dividend, no floor. Deer, on the other hand, has a defined set of shares, a possibly growing dividend, and the strong possibility that Wall Street will be able to reward it with a higher price earnings multiple because of the ag cycle and the infrastructure bill. The stock is roughly 5% cheaper than Caterpillar on an earnings basis. No wonder it jumped 6% today, the polar opposite of what we've been seeing in the NASDAQ. Now let's step back from the world of tractors versus identity management software so we can focus on interest rates. Hedge fund managers have a very similar and simple playbook that they follow religiously. When rates are headed higher, which they are right now, you have to abandon the stocks of companies that are valued based on what we call the out years, what they can make far into the future, because that future is getting less enticing. High inflation means the value of these future earnings will be eroded, and they've got no dividend that can outrun rising bond yields. Instead, at this point in the business cycle, the playbook says you have to go with more tangible companies that make real things and generate real profits, make things, get paid for them, profitable. Conceptual is out, tangible is in. So what's that mean for these two groups? Well, at this point, if any of these conceptual companies has a revenue shortfall, their stocks will be obliterated. There's zero margin for error. The tangibles? The market's very forgiving. Boeing's a serial screw-up. They've had problems, let's see, with the 787, the 777, the 737 MAX, their military contracts, you name it. Yet the stocks rallied more than 10 bucks this week. This morning, some analysts squawked that 2022 will be a year when Boeing gets its act together. I live in hope. But at this point, the stock can rally regardless because it's back in style on the Wall Street fashion show. Yet another reason we own it for the trust. And if it actually gets some orders, wowza! Let me give you another example. Ford Motor. Today, Ford came out and said it can make 150,000 electric F-150s. And believe me, like with Tesla, there's demand for a lot more. For the longest time, you couldn't give this stock away. Nobody cared about CEO Jim Farley's bold predictions for the electric pickup truck. By the way, he made them on our private broadcast in the Charitable Trust Club. Now, though, the market suddenly appreciates that old dog that's doing new tricks. Ford currently sells for 12 times earnings, even after today's 11% jump. I think it deserves a much higher valuation. Oh, I don't want to slight GM. Big interview with Phil Lobotomar, Mary Bauer, which rallied four bucks in its own right, despite fourth quarter sales being down more than 40 percent and losing the U.S. sales crown to Toyota. Well, that's someday. There are other stocks that are flying with nothing going on, like Wells Fargo. Investing club name will benefit from higher interest rates, very inexpensive. Wells broke out for a second day. 
The stock of J.P. Morgan got slashed from buy to hold this morning, soared $6. Honeywell, one of my favorite companies, saw its stock get downgraded today with some comments that made me feel like management's out to launch. Totally untrue. Yet the darn thing didn't even skip a beat, rallied more than two bucks. That same man also suggested GE would be a better buy. Well, they could certainly do a lot worse than GE. Of course, it's not as simple as tech versus non-tech. There are plenty of cheap, tangible tech stocks out there, IBM, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Again, though, these are easily valued businesses that have a John Deere-like feel, and that's what you need. Look, interest rates won't go straight up, even as bond yields are ripping today. The Fed may not put through four rate hikes this, uh, this year, but the bottom line, Okta versus Deere is the best way to understand this market. Okta, Deere. No, it's not U.S. versus Holmes. Uh, where Theranos defrocked hero looks like she may be headed to jail. However, Okta is guilty of something. It's guilty of being expensive. And maybe that's the only thing that matters in this market. Let's go to Patrice in Washington. Patrice. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. I wanted to ask you about a stock in the apparel space. I think consumers are going to go to responsible consumption and care about ESG. The stock is rent, rent the runway. I want to know, should I pick up some more of it in 2022? Okay. Uh, now, I will say this about Rent the One Way. It is losing a huge amount of money. And when I see that, Patrice, I don't want it. I'd rather there are so many companies in the mall that are making a ton of money. Uh, and that's where you want to be. Okay. Now, there's a schism between high valuation stocks and the rest of the market. Okta, great example, company we like very much, versus Deere, another one. Best way to understand it. Mad tonight. Yesterday, we covered the S&P. Now we're turning to the NASDAQ. I'm taking a closer look at the top 10 performing stocks in the tech-heavy index for 2021. See if they can continue to run this year. Then we're covering the losers to see if some of the stocks that got crushed last year could create buying opportunities in 2022. And can rapid testing hold the key to helping the country remain open safely? I'm talking to the expert in the field, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. we learn from studying last year's biggest winners and losers in tech, as represented by like the NASDAQ 100? While most of the gains in this tech-heavy index came from Fang and friends, simply because they're so huge, only Alphabet managed to make the top 10. That was up 65%. How about the other winners? Certainly worth a gander given this index collapsed today, right? The top performers, Lucid Group. Up 280%, the electric vehicle play that came public last year via SPAC merger. That's getting hit with wave after wave of insider selling. Now, in a world where the Fed is your friend, I can't blame anyone for trying to find the next Tesla. And Lucid certainly looks like a good enough candidate. I mean, they're giving Tesla a run for its money in the luxury department, and I certainly expect them to do so. But we're now in a world where the Fed's talking about tightening, which makes these early stage stories a lot more difficult. Let me put it this way. Lucid is a $64 billion company that only plans to make 20,000 vehicles this year. As much as I love the story, I hate the timing, especially with another lock of expiration and perhaps a deluge coming later this month. The last one crushed the stock. And we don't even know how many cars they've been able to make yet. 
Think about what happened with Ford today, that they can do 150,000 vehicles. And it's not that much worth that much more than Lucid. Mm. And that's just for the, um, the lightning. Next, there's some overlap between the S&P and the Nasdaq 100, with the second, third, and fourth biggest winners, Moderna, Fortinet, and NVIDIA. We talked about those last night. So let's jump to number five, which is Marvell Tech. That was up 84% last year. Like NVIDIA, we've championed Marvell for the charitable trust from way back when it was in the teens. It's now at 88. During this period, the company has grown into a fabulous play on 5G wireless and high-performance computing for the data center. When CEO Matt Murphy took over, Marvell was really a mosaic, if not pastiche, of low-value chips. Thanks to a series of acquisitions and asset sales, it's become essential to the two best secular trends out there. And again, that's the 5G and high-performance computing in the uh, data center. I think it can keep working in 2022 because this is a real company with real products and real profits. Notice it was barely off today, even as the rest of tech melted down. Talking about 30% organic revenue growth here, people. Speaking of chips, the whole semiconductor capital equipment space has been on fire as the industry tries to cope with chip shortage. That's why applied materials could roar 82% to become the sixth best performer in the NASDAQ 100, KLA coming in ninth, ASML coming in 11th. While these are all different, as is my favorite, Lamb Research, they're joined at the hip by the ETFs and they benefit from the same trends. Rather than being hostage to any particular chip, the semiconductor equipment makers are all about secular growth of chips being used in Internet of Things, business, autos, where the amount of semiconductor content has tripled over the last decade. I'd be a buyer of applied materials or KLA or ASML. Anytime some analyst downgrades them based on the perception that they're too expensive, I say, so what? They deserve to be expensive. The demand for their product is tremendous, and they've got real scarcity value. There are only a handful of players left in the space. They've merged and merged and merged. Think of them as the limited arms dealers in the semiconductor cold war. I'd buy them on any dip, however shallow, meaning if they're down another couple of days, I think you've got to pull the trigger here. <laughs> you know, Plot Materials had a shortfall. And the stock still was up 82%. How about number seven? Well, this one's pretty incredible. Even the meltdown of the cloud stocks. Datadog, it managed to finish up more than 80% for the year. Now, maybe that shouldn't be so surprising, considering that it's the best of breed player in the cloud-based monitoring, analytics, and security space. Unfortunately, Datadog and its ilk are now profoundly out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. Many of its competitors are at the 52-week low. The thing lost 8% of its value yesterday for no particular reason, then tumbled another 3.7% today, at least the velocity slowing. Now, it's not the kind of stock you can afford to own when rates are on the rise. And honestly, uh, echoes for nearly all the newly minted cloud stocks. Fairly or unfairly, they all tend to sink or swim together because that's how the stock market works. It's unfair. The market's unfair. Number eight, if you want to, be, to bet on which of the top 10 NASDAQ 100 names could repeat the terrific performance, I'd actually put my money on Intuit, the small business helper that has everything you need to track your credit score, do your taxes, manage your bookkeeping. The stock was up nearly 70% last year, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it could have another monster year in 2022. I'm so impressed with Intuit every time I see them come on air. I very much believe in their takeover strategy, which included the recent purchase of Credit Karma and now MailChimp, even though both companies have really stupid names, extending their reach into small business and making the company even more indispensable. As a small business owner myself, I don't know what to do without these guys, both as ways to stay organized and a way to keep costs down. That's what they really do. I really admire Intuit and its management always have which fact running a business is not getting easier on your wallet with higher expenses on materials employees distribution and borrowing everything costs more also a fact 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This is why I've been pushing the stock for years. I am not daunted by the current decline. It's now down more than a hundred points from its high, even as business going gangbusters. That appeals to me. We already talked about number nine KLA. So let's jump to number 10. Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google, which is one of the longest running positions in the charitable trust, right up there with Apple. Alphabet's stock finished up 65% last year, and some would say it was merely playing catch-up with its other mega-cap tech peers. I think it's actually a little more complicated than that. Alphabet took a bigger hit in 2020 because it's an advertising business, so they also got a bigger, bigger boost last year when the travel industry started showing some signs of life, spending money, and it's only going to get better later in the second half of this year. On top of, a lot, of all that, a lot of tech enthusiasts believe that this is the year when a man who I'm trying to get on the show very badly, Thomas Curian, K-U-R-I-A-N, starts winning huge business for Google Cloud. In my opinion, he could have done it last year, but the company lacked the infrastructure to handle all the customer demand. Talk about a high-quality crop. Number 11 is ASML. We'll be covering that earlier, so let me give you a few more. The 12th best performer is Atlassian, symbol team, T-E-A-M, the collaboration and project management software play, stock that ran up 63% last year. Now, I had these Australian gents on the show a few years ago and was struck by the simplicity of the product, beauty of it, not to mention its low cost. Now, again, there are too many businesses in collaborative software, and that's just putting enormous pressure on the entire group, hence the hideous 4.4% decline at Atlassian today. I like the company. I like its growing customer base. I like the product. Seems indispensable to many, but this is one that's just totally out of style. So if you want to stick with it, you need to get used to pain. I don't like or solicit pain. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Number 13, 
Zscaler, how can I help you? The cybersecurity play up 61%. I like Zscaler the same way I like Okta, which I talked about at the top of the show. They're both about zero trust for identity verification to keep out hackers. Right now, there's zero trust for the stock. This is another one that's out of style. It needs to smash the earnings estimates or else the shareholders will keep heading for the hills like they did today. I'm calling Zscaler even on a bounce, untouchable. And I like the company. Finally, there's AMD, run by the redoubtable Lisa Su, who has turned this chip maker into a gaming and high-performance computing powerhouse. AMD is another core holding in my charitable trust. The stock climbed 57% last year. Every year, it tends to give you a few great buying opportunities as the doubters always seem to surface. I bet you get the next one when they close on the Xilinx acquisition that will make them more of a telco and industrial play. My attitude toward AMD, the same as Apple. Own it, don't trade it. I thought Lisa Su's CES presentation today, which some people said caused the stock to go down badly, was just fine and dandy. Here's the bottom line. Many of these NASDAQ winners have fallen out of favor and become incredibly dangerous. But the more tangible ones, the ones that you can grasp, that have make something, that do something, or profitly, they can work here. Michael in Georgia. Michael! Yes, sir. I'm calling about Bed Bath Beyond since I did that deal with Kroger with 2,800 stores in 35 states. I believe they're going to beat earnings. Well, okay, so uh, Bed Bath is going to report this week. Um, they have to do two things. One, they have to demonstrate that Bye Bye Baby is worth the price of the stock. And two, they have to demonstrate that that, that deal that they just mentioned actually is worth something. And I don't know about the latter, but the former, I'm going to, I got to tell you, I think that Bye Bye Baby, I also think that Harmon, Harmon is worth a great deal. All right, you can't win them all. Many NASDAQ winners have fallen out of favor, but the more tangible ones, they can still work. And the one that I'm highlighting here is my fave is Intuit. And then I like AMD. Travel Trust owns that one. It owns Marvell. It owns NVIDIA. And it also owns Alphabet. And I like all of those. Be careful of the insider selling coming up. The loose said it could. The lockup expiration. All right, much more mad money ahead. We covered the winners. What about that said for the losers of the NASDAQ? I'll tell you if there's some diamonds in the rough. Plus, there's been mass confusion of the CDC's COVID isolation guidelines. I'm talking COVID's latest wave with a leader in the space. Really knows testing. And what's next for the leading meme stocks? I'm breaking down the recent action in AMC and GameStop, a year for the meteoric rise. Gorillas, stay tuned. Uh, you're going to um, wish I spelled it G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Stay with Kramer. My, how the mighty have fallen. When you look at the 10 worst performers in the NASDAQ 100 from last year, it's shocking how many of these were not post-COVID-related declines. Anyone who follows the stock market can, though, name the worst performer, and that's Peloton, down 76%. Pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong for this exercise equipment maker. A box launch for its new treadmill, a highly theatrical death from its exercise cycle, a need to raise cash not long after we told that they were fine for money. Honestly, it's a wonder that Peloton stock post-COVID or whatever we where we call ourselves isn't even lower. Now, tax loss selling here is horrific. It was crushed again today. So a bounce cannot be ruled out. But in the end, exercise equipment has never been a great business, and it will be difficult for Peloton to compete as people start feeling safe enough to return to the gym. That's at the uh, Oxford English Dictionary. It's good to always have that. It's good to remember that, that little definition. Next, I'm going to lump three Chinese stocks together in a smoldering tub. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The second biggest loser, Pinduoduo, an e-commerce platform down 67%. The sixth worst performer, Baidu, the Google of China, down 31%. And the eighth worst performer, JD.com, their second largest online retailer, down 20%. Now, you could say I'm a skeptic of China. But in truth, I just take the regime at its word. The Chinese Communist Party has always been terrible in human rights. But lately, they're also starting to crack down on capitalism. News to say that's bad for business. So I want to avoid all these stocks. The thing is, Wall Street still loves China. And so nothing has changed at all. Because it's got such a powerful long-term growth story with a rising middle class. There's always another bounce for some credulous sucker analyst who thinks the government is about to change course or the stocks have finally have enough. You need to ignore them. I don't know how simple I can make this. As long as President Xi continues his crackdown on wealth, it's too risky to own these stocks. Even Karl Marx wouldn't recommend communism as an investment strategy. Remember the shameless bankers, the ticker symbol MAO is still available. Now, if you, the bankers seem to have any problems at all, they can get my little recommendation book, which is called Quotations from Chairman Mao. Let's just see. Let me just pick a page. Here's one. Sell Pinduoduo, Baidu, and JD.com. Very helpful to have the handbook. Third worst performer could actually be undervalued here. I'm talking about Zoom Video. Yeah, the most iconic COVID winner, 10% of its market capitalization in cash, many more opportunities to integrate its software into the enterprise. However, as long as Zoom tries to go it alone, its price earnings multiple will keep shrinking. Currently, it trades at roughly 40 times earnings. And I bet it can get even cheaper. But, hey, that's a lot better than where it was trading last year, 50 times sales. Uh, hmm. Full disclosure, my stepson works there. What surprises me with Zoom is that the stock keeps sinking, even as Delta, now Omicron, keeps forcing people to work from home. One million infections in the last 24 hours. Yet Zoom was down more than 2% today. It's almost as if people view this thing as a utility. There's plenty of growth, but not enough to maintain the current valuation. The company's botched attempt to buy 5.9, which would have diversified into cloud-based call contact center, which I like, could, uh, could have kept the stock from plummeting. But it had already fallen so much that the deal couldn't be completed because it was a stock-for-stock deal. Still, you can't give up on Zoom because the opportunity remains enormous. It just has to be seized by CEO Eric Yuan as his current strategy can't seem to reverse the downward trajectory. Fourth, what happened to Splunk? I mean, look, I know it got pelotoned, but let's talk about this. This is the cloud-based data analytics play. Why did the CEO, Doug Mertz, suddenly leave without explanation? We've had him on the show many times to the point where he he seemed almost synonymous with Splunk. So the fact that he could just disappear one day doesn't sit well with me. How can I buy stock in a company where the CEO has repeatedly told us they're making a fabulous transition to a stable subscription business model when he's here today and gone tomorrow right about when they're about to do it, complete the transition? 
I know Splunk's market cap has almost has already shrunk from 24 billion in 2020 to $18 billion today. But so what? Without transparency, it's still a sell, even after last year's 32% decline. For now, Splunk's simply the sound it makes on the way down. I wonder if we have to go Splunking to find Doug. Fifth worst performer, DocuSign, down 31%. This decline is more about a stock that flew too close to the sun than anything to do with the actual business, which is so strong. DocuSign has completely digitized the process of signing important documents like contracts. I keep trying to figure out when it will be the right time to pounce, but I'm put off by the valuations because this sells at nearly 60 times earnings. Even if the Fed weren't tightening, that would be tough to swallow. But with a set of rate hikes on the way, that multiple will shrink, even if the underlying earnings soar. Like Zoom, DocuSign needs to show something, something to show that it's taking advantage of its newfound size and reach. So far, it has not done so. This is not a niche company, but I fear it could end up being like fintech destined to fall back to earth, and it still might have a long way to go. Again, this is a great company. Okay, this I was on this today. It's a great company. My wife actually rode this the other day. Bras off, people. Lease is on. Jog bra, I should have said. Skipping down after Baidu, we get to the seventh worst performer, Activision Blizzard, which we already covered in yesterday's S&P 500 uh, examination. Then there's the aforementioned JD.com, another China loser. Um, uh, I have the quotations from Chairman Mao. Oops, no. This is another book that you can use. This is 50 cents analysis, which is probably where it's going. <laughs> Whoa. Let me see what do we have anything on? Oh, just just reiterate. It says reiterate sell. But if you want another great example of the agonizing process known as multiple contraction, I want you to look no further than the ninth worst performer, a company I think is so good, Mercado Libre. Wiley Hill is the eBay of Latin America. As an original investor in this company way back in the day, I've long admired how it's become the classifieds for an entire continent. Mercado Libre continues to do incredibly well. Business is fantastic. So why did the stock fall 20% last year? Simple. The stock sells at more than 400 times last year's earnings, and nobody wants that kind of high flyer in this new environment where the Fed is no longer your friend. You can try to justify it by saying the $62 billion market cap is too small for the opportunity, but that's too amorphous for the market. Still, Macquarie Libre has come down so far from its highs that I'd rather be a buyer than a seller, although that's damning this one with pretty faint praise. And, hey, talk about tough. The 10th worst performer in the NASDAQ 100 is a charitable trust name. Ouch, PayPal. Here's a company with a 20% plus growth rate that got tripped up by its final separation from eBay and its inability to forecast how much business might be lost in the separation process. At the exact same time, the whole fintech group went out of style on the Wall Street Fashion Show, and we've got rising competition. Everyone from Square to Affirm. Ooh, Affirm stock has been tough. Uh, while PayPal is the steadiest business in the group, you got to wonder if the stock can keep trading at just uh, 36 times this year's earnings, uh, 28 times next year's, uh, down from 40, though. We're going to stick it out for the CNBC Investing Club because it's already down more than 100 points from it, uh, from where it traded, finishing the year off 20%. But it could take some time. Be careful for now. This stock is one step forward and one step back, as we've seen almost exactly in the last couple of days. Finally, here's a bonus. T-Mobile, with the stock down 14% last year, even as it repeatedly trounced the numbers. This telco and cable cohort has become a real mess. Competition galore, unbelievably capital intensive. However, on this list, I think T-Mobile gives you the best chance of a bounce now that it's arguably the best network in the nation. The bottom line, 
Looking at the worst performers in the NASDAQ 100, there are a lot of names that should keep losing now that the Fed is your foe, but also some opportunities if you're waiting to be patient. We'll stay patient with the charitable trust with PayPal. I don't think we're going to necessarily get a bottom here, but patient. T-Mobile seems like a balanced candidate. And um, I don't know, where in the world is Waldo Merritt? Now, I want to go to Jason in Florida. Jason. Oh, yeah, Jim. It's oh, Jason yeah. and Max here in Miami. We love the show. Thank you. And true to form, you are the, you are the hardest working man in show business. I sure My try to be. I was up at 3.30 yeah. this morning because I want to get the jump on all the bad guys. What's going on? I, I love it. We'd love to talk a little Disney, okay? So after hitting 200, we see it had a pretty tough year and uh, down about 15%. But we like the subscriber base. We like what's happening. Typhoon Lagoon reopening, a couple new movies coming out. So we see it as a buy, but would love your thoughts. Well, okay, so I've been putting out some stuff for the for the Chapel Trust, for the product, for the CNBC Investing Club. And I've got to tell you, I'm a little beaten up by Disney. Um, I thought that it could have a bit of a run here, uh, but people want to see Omicron go, th- go through us. I think the parks are good. We need to see more uh, from how to monetize ESPN correctly. I've got some ideas on that. But finally, yes, Disney Plus has to have more content, and then we'll feel better. But I am not leaving that stock. Now, you you can see I said I'm not deserting PayPal, and I'm not deserting Disney. Two losers so far in the year that was 2021. New year, some new opportunities. Now you know which of the worst NASDAQ performers could be new winners if you're patient, but I also tell you which ones could be Peloton. And remember, that's right from the dictionary, the Oxford English Language Dictionary that I've made up in my head. I have much more mad money, okay? Is it time to change the way we approach testing for COVID? I got the exclusive with the leader on the subject. Then a year on, I'm investigating what happened to all those Robin Hood merriment, friar talk, and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Yesterday, we hit a grim record with more than a million reported COVID cases. And while that includes some delayed numbers from the weekend, also probably an undercount, because it does include most at-home tests, and we still don't have enough tests to begin with. That's why tonight I want to check back in with Dr. Michael Minna. He's an epidemiologist and the chief science officer at EMED, a startup that aims to improve online access to healthcare. He's probably also the nation's foremost advocate of mass testing, which has suddenly become insanely important now that Omicron's spreading like wildfire. Dr. Minna, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thanks so much. Happy to be here. Thank you. All right, so, Doc, I, I kind of went off the uh, deep end the other day because what happened to me was that I was at a party where everyone had to be tested uh, for PCR. I, you had to bring the sheet which said you were negative. You went to the party, and the person I was next to actually gave me COVID. Um, and what I've been thinking is, is that perhaps the way we test, which is, say, a PCR in the morning, then go to an event in the evening, may not be the most accurate way to be able to prevent getting Omicron. Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the best things about a rapid test is you can use it right before the event of interest. You know, so if you're going to an event, use it. I've said if you're going, you know, before Christmas and, and New Year's were, were, when they were coming up, I said use a test, you know, 15 minutes beforehand. That will give you the best chance of identifying that you are positive right before you walk into that event and infect other people around you. Well, I know I've got some tests. I read a great piece in the Atlantic that you recommended where I felt badly that I have some tests, but I like to test because I work with a bunch of people. And what struck me was that the president said we might have 500 million tests. So I never thought it'd be like being a bad thing to have a bunch of tests. Where are the 500 million? 
Well, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they don't exist yet in the United States. They exist everywhere else in the world. They, these tests are in abundance in Europe. There's plenty of manufacturers of, the, of these tests. You know, the U.S. has really lagged uh, in getting them out. And what it means is that now we have to be extremely strategic about how we use these, because unfortunately, despite, you know, as we've discussed, you know, for over a year now, we needed these tests. We needed a project warp speed to get tests into Americans' hands. And I've been saying it for over a year. We find ourselves here today, and now we have to be strategic. We don't have the plentiful number of tests for public health use that we needed. But what we have to do is figure out where are the tests most beneficial. We have to be pre-positioning these tests in people's homes who are vulnerable so that they can get treatment with the Pfizer drug early. We have to be allowing the tests to be useful after somebody uses it to get a report that they can then use to get a prescription or perhaps go to work, go to a nursing home. There's, there's no reason today that anyone should be walking into a nursing home without taking one of these tests and being able to show proof that they tested right before they walked in, especially with Omicron today. Well, I saw the prices for the tests uh, that are currently available went up again last night. That seems to be uh, incorrect, wrong to me. Uh, I know that maybe the FDA is blocking the, all the tests that we could get from overseas. At the UK, you can get one every day for free. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of market competition in this country. We've allowed... Uh, testing to be, you know, at the whim of, of, of private and public companies. And if we're going to put public health in the hands of industry, then we have to have the government support it. You know, we heard last summer, for example, that Abbott shredded their tests. That led to outcries. But the fact is the government should have supported Abbott uh, in, in pre-purchases so that Abbott didn't have to take a gamble. If we're going to ask companies like Abbott, to be the public health interveners in, in this pandemic, then our government at the very least needs to support it with all its weight. And what we have seen thus far is that it, we have been slow to regulate, we've been slow right. to get them out into America, and we've been slow to, to support these efforts. Well, I got a statement this weekend from the CDC. They said, given what we currently know about the COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, CDC is shortening the recommended time for isolation for the public. Uh, everybody I talk to, and I deal with a lot of rigorous doctors, I'm not a doctor myself, but no one thought this was, no one thought this was coming. A, my doctor said, look, 10 days, my doctor's involved with the, 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 the complex. Of, and he said, listen, after 10 days and you test, you're okay. But this was five days, no test. I mean, where's the science for this? Uh, you know, there, there isn't. Uh, there was some, uh, there's, there was reasoning, but the fact is lots of people, you know, I would, I would bet 30% of people at day five post-symptoms, especially with Omicron because symptoms have shifted forward, are still infectious. You know, they're oh. still potentially highly infectious at day five. And I do hope that the CDC walks it back and suggests that, yes, testing is a crucial component. If you're leaving isolation at day five, do it with a test because regardless, positive people in isolation at day five are still some of the highest, highest risk people, if not the, the highest group of people in terms of their risk for spreading to or, others. It, so we well, we to don't be, necessarily, the antigen test you're fine with, should we get rid of the expensive PCR test? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for a long time that PCR is too sensitive. It right. never answered the question, do we need to isolate? Antigen test does. All right, Dr. Min, I, I got to tell you, this is, it's very depressing. You said all this on our show a year ago. Every bit of it. 
we could have really saved a lot of lives. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Dr. Michael Minna, EMED Chief Science Officer, Epidemiologist and Immunologist. If you had read, if you had just listened to what he said, believe me, this thing would have, I don't say it would have gone away, but boy, we'd be in a different place. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. Get money's back in. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come on, the lightning round. Let's start with Kevin in Florida. Kevin! Hey, Professor Kramer. My question is about Teladoc. Got in around the $60 range, watched it rise to 300 Now it's sitting down at the low 90s. What Too much competition. Too much competition in that business. Don't want to own it. Thank you, though. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob! Hey, Jim. Thank you for all you do. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, hey, um, I'm looking at Quailtrix, um, uh, symbol XM. Um, Alright, well look, this company had a major upside surprise. It was doing it's doing incredibly well, but the valuation is such that people don't want to own it until they start making money. Pull it out, man, Paul. Booyah from Alabama. Booyah, Jim. Paul. Like to uh, check on a company called Ottertail Corporation. Oh, that's a great growth retail. Like it. I like American Electric Power, but Otter's a real good one. I like the name too. Always have Kevin in Michigan, Kevin. Hey, Jim, booyah. Hey, booyah. The stock is Oppenheimer Holdings. That is one cheap stock, and it has not participated yet in the financial rally. I think it should. Let's go to Bob in Massachusetts. Bob. Hey, Jim. Happy New Year and greetings from Boston. Oh, thank just you, Steve. Just a quick question. What uh, What's your thoughts on uh, APA, the old Apache? You know what? Apache turned out to be, you know, they Crispin stuck it out. And he's doing a good job. Now, the stock has had a bit of a run, but I think Apache actually works. I was quite premature when I owned it for the Chapel Trust many years ago when I worked at another company. How about Norman in New York? Norman. Hey, Jim. I can't believe I'm actually doing this. I've been listening to you for years. Okay. You know, my favorite my favorite Jimism is bull make, bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. So my, my stock is mosaic. Yes. It's a highly volatile stock. The tariffs are running out on, on these stocks, and foreign producers have a lower cost structure. What's your outlook for Mosaic, especially? I think Mosaic's really about the only game in town for the FERTs. I think the, I think the first can go still higher. The fertilizers can go still higher. I like Mosaic. I know it's an up-and-down stock, but I do like it. Brian in Delaware. Brian! Mr. Kramer. Yes. How are you? I'm good, thank I'm you. I'm looking to jump in with us. I'm good. I'm looking at something with a 15% dividend. It's down nearly 25% from its one-year high of $69. Talking about IEP, Icon Enterprise. See, the problem is I don't know what's in that company. And every time I people, you know, I watch it go down, 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 I pay a total, uh, if if there was total transparency, I could recommend it, but I just can't. Let's go to Steve, my home state of New Jersey. Steve! Hey, Jim. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Steve. Okay. I was looking at uh, drug stocks lately, and one caught my eye. Can you give me your opinion of Vertex Pharmaceuticals? Yeah, it had a stumble with cystic fibrosis, but it really is the only real hope for people. I like the company. I think it's a very interesting drug stock that sells at a very low multiple. Bob in Florida. Bob! What's up, Jim? How not you- much, Bob. How about you? 
You know, e-commerce for the insurance industry, there's like so many that want to do that. I don't want to be there anymore. Too many companies chasing too few customers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. to all those excited Robinhood traders who discovered the market in 2020 and bought fallen angels like Ford and GE? Are they making out like bandits now that those stocks are soaring? I'm not so sure. I think they got waylaid at the beginning of last year. Yep, I think they're still stuck in the nauseating rut of AMC and GameStop. Sure wasn't nauseating last year, but now? Many younger investors like to buy call options, again, on these two stocks, or they like to buy the worst of the worst of whatever cryptocurrency is selling at a low price. We're about to analyze the GameStop AMC Imbroglio, which was built as younger investors storming the old guard gates. But in retrospect, I think it steered people in the wrong direction. Okay? Uh, it started with incredible buying GameStop when the Robinhood cohort decided they should use their firepower to crush short-selling hedge funds that had overstayed their welcome. Then the cheerleader seized on an icon, Ryan Cohen, the co-founder of Chewy, no longer involved, who joined the board of GameStop with a vague plan to reinvent it, or at least that was the story. Over the course of last year, the stock falled from $17 to $400 intraday. This is where it looks like, I mean, it, before it opened that morning. I, I don't know if you remember that. It was a war of annihilation against the short sellers. Right here, I called in from my hospital bed sans catheter and told you to sell at $400, for which I've forever been viewed with great enmity by these people. The stock stayed high until we realized that nothing else was going to materialize aside from the company taking the opportunity to raise some cash with Ryan pretty much running the show. Brian. A year later, and we are still waiting for the new GameStop. Same thing happened with AMC, a stock that went from $9 in May of last year to $62 in June, allowing them to raise enough capital to stay solvent. As CEO Adam Aaron quartered his new shareholder base. If you got in on those initial moves, again, fantastic. Congratulations, you made a fortune. But since then, there hasn't been much of an encore. There's been no serious attempt to discover new stocks by these people and get behind them, at least not on a sustained basis. Instead, younger investors would rather bet on on something like Dogecoin, the cryptocurrency that was created as a joke, a joke where the punchline is the entire asset class. The problem here is that the acolytes of GameStop and AMC never really branched out beyond some short busting, even as they became an army of apes with memes and diamond hands and rocket emojis, all of which seemed pretty frivolous in retrospect. Sure, they tried to meme some stocks, a meaning a running and gunning them, but these moves mostly failed miserably. Think Wendy's, good company, but the spike was ridiculous by them. Corsair Gaming, a little bit more commodity. Again, they did the game. Now, periodically, you'd see some stocks trade before the market opened that jumped all over the place. But even that's died down. All this is such a shame. This was such a good opportunity to get people into the stock market, looking, understanding, buying good companies. Instead, it steered them away from the market. Sure, maybe their beloved GameStop will eventually turn into something more than a gaming hardware store. Maybe AMC can pay down its considerable debt by issuing tens of millions of shares overnight. That's what I'd do if if Adam Aaron, the CEO, could get the authority. But so, so far, there's really been no second act. What should these young investors do? I think they should use their considerable skills. Look, they identified AMC, they identified GameStop, and understanding what they and their friends use for tech. In other words, the fundamentals. They should figure out what's selling well in retail. They should try to invest in their favorite restaurant chains or their favorite websites, okay? 
But AMC and GameStop, after the first month of gains, these two are really just traps against the short sellers. Not great growth stories. Going forward, I don't see them having much upside unless their CEOs find a way to create new revenue streams out of thin air. If either of them had a real plan, though, I think we probably would have heard it by now. Happy anniversary to all those people who made money in GameStop. Maybe it's time. Time to move on. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.